This is The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast dedicated to high quality, high yield, open access medical education for learners of all levels. I'm Rosie Tillis, and I'm here with Elaine King, a general surgery resident here at Duke, and Tori Wickenheiser, a plastic surgery resident here at Duke as well. Today, um, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Wendy Chen. Dr. Chen got her medical degree from the University of Cincinnati and then completed her residency in plastic at the University of Pittsburgh. Recently, this past spring, she finished up her fellowship in hand and microsurgery at UCLA and is now an incoming assistant professor at UT Houston in hand and pediatric plastic surgery. She is an outspoken advocate for increasing diversity in medicine as well as supporting women surgeons. She has participated in multiple panels on fertility choices and residency and has been incredibly open about her journey of freezing her eggs. And we are thrilled to have her with us today on the resident review. Hi. I will say, I'm a huge fan. I've been on Instagram for like two years now. Um, and so I was like really, really enthralled by all of your posts, especially about your fertility experience. And so I brought it up to Rosie as something that I think would be really cool to talk about on this podcast, even though it's not typically, you know, like one of our educational topics, but just a topic that I think is at the forefront of everyone's be for our listeners to hear about. So to yeah. just you how you got involved in this and how you decided to start posting about it. Yeah. So um, I got started because one fellow that uh, when I was a resident, there was a fellow who had been trying to get pregnant for a while through reproductive endocrinology, and she just decided to tell her story one day at brunch. And um, I thought to myself, like, I order a consult all the time, like all day long. I just click consult, and then like something happens, and I was like, it seems so easy. Why does it seem so hard when it's yourself? And so I was like, I'm just gonna do that. I'm just going to click consult and then I'm just going to go and see, and we'll just start there, like getting an appointment, you know, and actually it wasn't that hard. Um, when I was in Pittsburgh, the office was in the women's hospital and that's where we do our body contouring and obviously our breast surgeries. And so, um, it was actually not hard to, um, get to the appointment. Um, and then, you know, like, I think I scheduled it one day at the end of clinic and I just said, hi, do you guys have enough people in clinic? I'm going to go to a reproductive endocrinology appointment. And then of course, all the men, because there were only other men were like, yeah, okay, go. And I was like, great, I'll be at work tomorrow or I'll come back if you guys are still in clinic. And um, that was the beginning. And then, so in that appointment, you know, you just, you're just like a consult when you're a patient, because I was a patient. Um, you just learn. It's just learning. It's just information. And then, so, you know, part of it is also financial. There's a financial counselor there to tell you like how things are going to work out with your insurance and all that stuff. And then um, they just said like, step one is like to assess, right? Establish baseline testing, of course, like just like any other discipline of medicine. And I was like, okay, like $300 or $400 or whatever it is to get a couple blood tests and ultrasound just to know where I am. Great. Uh, That's worth it to me. Okay. So then I did that. And then as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, like if it's terrible, then I should freeze my eggs. But also if it's great, I should freeze my eggs <laughs> because, you know, I don't smoke. I don't really drink. And like, um, I don't really have any other risk factors that I can really modify except for my age. So, you know, if I were talking to a patient, I would say 
yesterday was the best day ever to freeze your eggs. So then we started talking about money and I was like, you know, how, what dollar value do I place on having biologic children or the option or to, to say that I tried and if it doesn't work out, then, then at least I tried. And so for some of my friends, that number was 2000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, whatever it is. Um, and then some of my friends who decided to do it, they were like, oh, I told my parents, I was so excited. They gave me some money so I could do this. And so, um, I made up a number for myself and then looked at what number they told me it would cost. And I was like, I think those kind of match up. And so I decided to continue to proceed. And then same deal. I just kind of found a rotation that was really light. I was open because, um, everybody in my call pool, I would just say, Hey, this is coming up. This might happen in that case, are y'all willing to switch with me? And everybody of course said yes. Um, and, um, and then I was like, I'll just get you back the next day or whatever. If, if, you know, my day comes up and, you know, I just, I like anything, you know, you just kind of take it one step at a time when it seems big and scary. And like, um, I think a lot of people just like, they have denial. Like we know we did a survey and a lot of people think about it. They, they never think about it. Or when they thought about it, they think it's going to be too expensive. And really it's just a grab bag, wild, total wild card. Um, Cause now I've done it twice. And the second time I paid a lot more. And I only did it because I knew I was going to be attending soon. And so I just got a credit card and I was like, I'll just do it, you know? Um, so that's kind of an intro story. That makes a lot of sense where you just like kind of show up and you're like, what, what even do I even talk about? Like, what do I even ask about? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like there, it's pretty step-by-step. So you can kind of start small. Yeah. I think um, also there are ways that uh, I know that reproductive endocrinologists would not endorse. Um, and which is like when I had leftover meds, because you always order like a little bit more. And if you have any leftover, like, what are you going to do with them? And so I would tell my friends like, Hey, I'm finishing the cycle. Do you, or do you know anybody that might want, I, I can just give this to them. I can like send it over to them, like with ice and stuff. And like, I'm not endorsing that medically. I'm, and, and when I got free medication from my friends, um, this time around, I talked to my doctor before I used it. And she was like, this can't be used anymore. It's been um, reconstituted and it can't be used. This you can maybe use at the end of the cycle or once we've already stimulated you enough or whatever it is. So I, this is not a medically endorsed thing, but you can ask for people who, or create your own little network of people who are finishing their cycles or have medication to get everybody's medication might be a little different, but there are some baseline ones that are the same, especially when you're all around the same age range. And so um, you can look at that. I have saved a lot of money doing that and I have really? saved other people money. Yeah. So it's not medically endorsed. You should talk to your doctor before you use it because if it ruins your cycle, that's like a lot of time and money lost. Um, but that is a option to just look into. Um, also, if you, there's a compassionate program. So if you don't make X amount of money, you can apply and then sometimes you can get medication like half off even. There's specific pharmacies around the country and they all know each other that get medication to you as cheaply as possible, even if you don't qualify for the compassionate program. So I know cost is usually the number one thing that people can't get over. Um, and that's just another little way maybe that it can help defray your costs a little bit. And you said that it was different between the first and the second time, the cost. Um, what, yes. what was the difference? Like, was it a different private versus public or? 
I don't, um, I don't know. What to well, say. the second time I'm 37 right now, I just mm -hmm. finished my last cycle in July. And uh, because I ordered myself an anti-mullerian hormone, which is one of the first labs that you can do to kind of assess your fertility. And I kind of was like, I haven't thought about it in a while. And I ordered it and I was like, it's not like above average. It's like average. <laughs> and so I was like, I can't accept being average. <laughs> so I was like, I need to do, I need to do this now. I just felt <laughs> like I needed to do it now, you know? And so then the website you can go to is called S art.org and you can look up all the fertility places around you and you can find out what their success rate is for frozen eggs for frozen embryos for a live birth sart.org commonly used and then um i decided because i already knew that ccrm was like a very 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 well regarded um clinic that has multiple sites around the country I knew that if I ever had trouble getting pregnant or if I had the money to go it around the second time, that's the gold standard place that I was going to go to. And so it wasn't even a question for me. Like I just went to them and uh, they tried to contact my insurance. They couldn't even get on the phone with my insurance. And I was just like, I don't have time. Like, let's just go. If they can reimburse me, then great. And if they can't, like, I, I, it's worth it to me to do it again. So um, depending on what your insurance is, like, uh, what SART tells you about the places around you. Those are kind of, that's kind of like a place to get started just because you can't just like pick a random place. You know, you need to make sure that the eggs that you're saving are A, good eggs and B, are going to give you a live birth. So do different places, like I, I didn't even realize that. So they have different probably techniques or like different ways that they store them and so they yeah. have success rates. There's protocols um, and I don't know a lot of the other things. There's judgment involved in like harvesting um, when you do your egg or embryo harvest. Um, but I don't, that's something that I don't know too much about because I don't know reproductive endocrinology. Just to kind of take it back a little bit um, for people like me who are not very familiar with the process, do you mind walking us through the actual process slash timeline of, you know, yeah. to your first clinic appointment up to I have frozen eggs that are in the bank and now I pay rent? <laughs> I have to, so... When I was in Pittsburgh, it was a little slower because I had to work around rotations. But in um, California, I sped it up a lot. So I um, went to a clinic appointment and they were like, well, when do you want to start? You want to start like next week? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Let me think. Like, I need to work out my call schedule and like get mentally prepared, you know? And so, so it's possible to start as like, like you go to your first appointment, you get an ultrasound, you get your blood test, and then like you can start like, quote, next week. And so it just depends on, I think, the practice and availability and your personal availability. So, you know, I was coordinating a move. I had to move from Los Angeles to Houston. <laughs> I was still taking call, QTube call. I um, was doing onboarding for Houston hospitals. And I was like trying to move to Houston without actually being in Houston and just coordinating move. Like I had a lot going on. And so I had to work around that. Um, but then let's say starting day one where you start your injections, then it's about 12 days or so um, to harvest day. And that just varies based on um, as you get going after about the first week or so, you get more frequent ultrasounds and blood tests to kind of see where your estrogen and things like that are. And then um, looking at the follicles, how many have developed, how developed they are. And then, then they tell you to give a, tr a trigger shot. 
Uh, and then that has to be within like a certain period of time before you um, are actually getting the sedation procedure of the heart fist. So um, I would say the, the sort of prelim testing part maybe takes about a week. And then um, once you start injecting to the harvest day is maybe let's say 10 to 14 days as a window. So fast, I had no idea. Yeah, I did not no know way. you could do it that fast. I it was and like then months. afterwards, uh, and then afterwards, right? It, you have to make sure you prevent ovarian torsion because like your ovaries are like these giant, they're, I mean, they're not giant, but like, you know, there's only a few cc's different, but they feel really big when you're, wa I was walking around like an old lady the second time. The first time I didn't have so much trouble recovering from the retrieval, but the second time I really felt it. And like, you're supposed to be on bed rest. Um, so you can go to the kitchen and the bathroom. And um, I was really feeling it the second time. And I, 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 I had to walk kind of bent over a little bit. So um, you can't really get right back to that speed rounding or <laughs> status, let's say. Um, and then um, I was not doing any exercising. Like I usually like to run or do yoga or like go to you know fitness classes. And like, I didn't do that probably for two to three weeks after I was done. So overall, you're kind of not quite yourself physically, you kind of don't own your body for like, over a month. Um, so you obviously can't have sex um, when you're stimulating yourself with fertility drugs. Um, and then also from the standpoint of you don't want to like, he, my doctor called it walk around like you have you're protecting all these little water balloons. And so uh, and then afterwards, like, um, like I asked if I could do yoga, they said you could do tree pose and that's it. <laughs> so like, you really want to be careful about ovarian torsion. And what parts of it were you like out of commission for work? So like, I know you did this as you were taking Q2 call. Did, did you have to like miss some of your calls as you were prepping or was it just like, okay, this is my date to retrieve. I have to switch calls. So I talked to my co-fellow and um, the day that I was retrieving is the day that I switched a call with him. But, but that was then it. that was it. Yeah. I was walking a little bit slower in clinic um, before and after the retrieval, like right before, like when they're still kind of small, it's not so bad. But once you get closer and closer to retrieval date, you kind of like feel, feel it. And then afterwards, um, this time I was a little bit slower to get going. Um any of the side effects that you may have had as you were doing the like sort of ramping up and getting closer to retrieval day? So I think from all my reading online and talking to my friends, it seems like maybe like your version of PMS and like maybe a little bit more or something. So I had a friend who said she was crying watching like a commercial with a puppy on it. And I was like, I've never done that in my life. So like, <laughs> you know, I didn't do that. Or like, I, I, I had this whole script in my head like if the ER calls and I snap at them or something <laughs> like I'll have to be like I'm so I'm so sorry that's not I don't you you know like um I'm just like injecting myself with medications right now to try to like freeze my eggs so if I'm a little like more snappy that, but that didn't happen I didn't have to use that script um so I I really didn't um I have friends who said they have nausea or headaches um so you know I think it's it's probably, I suspect, different for everybody. So for myself, both times I was injecting leading up to retrieval, I felt the same both times, which was like pretty normal. Like I wasn't more emotional. I wasn't, you know, 
I, I felt pretty much the same. I wonder if that means like, you'll be like a happy pregnant person. Like if you, if you have kids, <laughs> like you'll be normal. <laughs> Versus like, I don't know. I don't know. Like you, you know, I think people say every pregnancy is different. I've never been pregnant. So I don't know. I don't know. Like if you have really, really bad um, nausea, let's say in the first three months or six weeks or whatever, like if that's going to happen the second time, like when you're pregnant, I don't know. So I think that might be a bit of an obstetric question or question for like moms or something, but I, I think it's hard to predict. And you just, uh, I think communication is what helps people understand when you're not being yourself. And so that's why I think throughout this process, I've, I know people who like, don't want to talk about doing IVF or they feel like it's a failing on their part. And there are times when I feel like it's a failing of myself also, like I'm 37, I'm like pretty single. I'm like, I'm thinking about becoming a single mother by choice. And like, like sometimes I think, look at me. I froze my egg twice. Like I'm thinking about being a mama myself. Look at me. And then sometimes I feel like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, how come I have to do it this way? And so it kind of is both ways. And so I don't think there's like a straightforward answer and everybody just has to walk their own path, like one little step, one little step at a time. It's definitely helpful to hear from other people who are walking that path because you feel like less like confused or like it's, it's just normalized. The same as we talked about mental health. You froze your eggs twice. Does that mean you have two freezers somewhere that have eggs in them? Yeah. Separate places. Yeah. So one in Pittsburgh and one in one. Orange County. Keep a, keep track of those, I guess. Yeah. So what is what'll be the logistics one day when you decide to retrieve them? Like which one will you go for first? Or so the- um, everybody like what the doctors have told me is that your plan A is always natural pregnancy. That's always plan A. Okay. So if I've personally decided that if I don't need my plan B's at all, then I will just give them to like, maybe like my gay friends or something who that way they don't have to look for an egg and they can just get a surrogate or whatever. I don't know. Um, but they're like kind of old eggs, right? <laughs> like um, I did it the first time when I was 33 and the second time when I was 37 and then I think if I ever have to activate my plan B, I would ask the fertility doctor, which one do you think might be quote better? Like um, one, because they're younger uh, in one hand, but maybe on the other hand, because it's this quote gold standard place, like are those maybe better? So I think that that's a question for like a doctor in the future if I need to activate them. Um, but for now, they're just gonna stay in their little boba straws, like <laughs> next <laughs> The one in Pittsburgh is next to the old, like, the, I asked them where it was. They said it was near the operating room. I was like, oh, that's cute. Like, hi. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, say hello. And, um, and I don't, I don't know physically exactly where they are in Orange County, but, but um, yeah. So interesting. And how long are they viable? Like forever? Uh, I don't know. So like you need I think 12 to maybe like 12 to 15 or 16 frozen eggs to maybe guarantee yourself 100% one live birth Mm -hmm. and I'll be honest I don't have I think between all my eggs I'm at like maybe 85% um, which it makes me feel very not good that it's not 100% but like I said I've like kind of done my best you know like financially time-wise like physically. Um, and that's just what I have, you know? Um, 
So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you've done everything. And then, you know, and then it's like, you know, if I try to use it, like, what about the other person, like their sperm or like, by the time we try to implant, like, is it implantable? Like, then there's like a lot of stuff that goes into it. So, you know, I've at least kind of done my part and taken care of my part as much as I can. And like, that, that's it. <laughs> that's what I can do. I did what I can control. Mm-hmm. You touched a little bit on the financial burden of doing this um, and kind of the difference in cost from one, you know, your first time to the second time. Um, what did that look like for you? Were you paying all upfront? Was it reasonable for you to spread it out when you're doing it as a resident, say, compared to when you're doing it a little bit farther along? Is there any kind of continual costs that come along with keeping your eggs stored? Or was it all just at time of like heart? So um, the first year of storage is included in the first big cost. Uh, and then in Pittsburgh, I think it cost me 400 or less a year. And I don't actually know what it is in California, but I think it's more um, because everything costed cost, cost more in California. So there's like geography specific. So like there's also practice specific. So within California, I saw a place that was doing it for eight or 9,000. And I think the place that I went to quoted me like 10 to 12. Um, and, uh, in Pittsburgh, it was a lot less, but that was also because as a resident and I never really fully figured it out, there was some sort of thing through the women's hospital for trainees. Um, so my cost was way less than $10,000. Um, but yes, there is a annual cost again, and you have to make sure, especially if you're training and moving around a lot that you update your contact information because, yeah, contact, uh, update your email, your phone number, your address, um, because like there's some clause where if they try to contact you like three times and they can't, then like that's it or something. Or um, So read the fine print. And I just have a reminder in my phone every year that uh, to update my REI offices. And that's, that's just like my plan. So you did, you did eggs. Um, I know there are like a few different options out there as well. Um, and I, I know I talked to you a little bit, but I listened to one of your panels previously for AWS. I think it was, um, talking about all the different options for fertility in both in residency and afterwards. Um, do you know anybody else who's gone, gone through with like freezing embryos or any other options like with cryopreservation and did they what did they think about those? So um, I've had friends who we had the discussion. They're like, I'm going to do whatever the universe or God has planned for me. And so they're just like, I'm going to think about it. So there are people who want to do that. There are people who once they heard that I did it, they were in a serious relationship. They were married and they were like, oh, should I like do this? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like both of you are surgeons. Like you don't want to have kids. Like you guys can freeze whatever you can freeze eggs or you can freeze embryos. Um, I am on a lot of online forums and there's a lot of women who feel strongly that unless you are, um, super securely married or something that you should only freeze, freeze eggs and not embryos. Um, I do know one of my friends who froze, uh, embryos with her husband, they continued training and then they got divorced. Um, and they don't know what to do with their embryos. Um, and, uh, so 
I think it can be for if you're single, it can be for if you're in a relationship, if you're married, if you're, you know, I think anybody can think about doing this. If you're a med student or like, um, you know, if I think one of the things that is hard for us as surgeons sometimes, or as people in general is asking for help. And like, that's another reason why I am outspoken, I think about this, both privately sort of in my inner circle, like for work purposes or whatever, but also like, because people don't talk about, people don't talk about it. And so like, they don't ask for help, but I think you'll find that people want to help. <laughs> I think people want to help you, you know, like, I think there's a lot of ways, like, you know, we talk about come with a solution, not a problem, or like, um, you just find a way to do something, right? Like you just find a way to do something if you really want it. And sometimes in our jobs, there's no option. You have to make it happen. And so I think you can apply that to your personal life as well. Really good advice. And that's like super interesting. I didn't even think about that, that, you know, life is unpredictable. And so like freezing your eggs is pretty safe bet, um, yeah. especially as surgeons. I, I don't know if you saw the, the JAMA um, Yes, that came that, out. I was going to say that I like, I knew I forgot something that I forgot to say that was, yes, wow. that I think is super important. So that's not the first article by any means. So, mm-hmm. um, we did an article like that in plastic surgery. Uh, I think urology has done one. OBJN has done one. And like, I think even more so it's important to preserve your fertility because we as surgeons uh, have higher risk in general, like miscarriages and like being older and all these things, like there's so much more risk involved. Um, there's also like sort of, um, complications of pregnancy complications for your child potentially. And so like, that's something that you have to plan ahead for. So I don't even know if like the number of eggs that I froze is enough for like, that's just for the normal person, 85%, but maybe for me, it means 40%. I don't know, you know? Um, yeah, that was a wild number. Like that we have like so many more complications. Yeah. And so many more miscarriages and you know, and yes, pregnancy complications and everything. It's just wild. And like, you know, once you cr- cross 35 and you're like in geriatric pregnancy, like it doesn't make you feel very good about yourself. But, yeah. but also just just you know, like there can be real um health considerations. Um, you know, the woman that was featured in that article where they said that she had a stroke, right? Like I remember in my text chains, like a lot of people were like, I knew that person, like we trained together at this time or that point in our lives. And like, um, that was terrifying. So terrible. You did all this, have a baby, and then you're going to stroke out. Like, yeah, that's terrifying. That's so real. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really scary. And then to, to have a stroke at our age, you know, when you're at the peak of your sense of independence and you're at the peak of like, whatever you like, your, your career and to suddenly feel like you're totally helpless. Like what if you're living far away from your family because of where you are for your job? Like there's so much to think about. Yeah. Yeah. We're already far away for our job. We're already like under stress for our job. We're already at advanced maternal age for our job. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't help any of these complication rates. Speaking of uh, being advanced maternal age, I think they moved the age down to 30 more recently. So a lot of us as trainees are, they moved it down, yeah, from 35 to 30 recently. Um, do they offer any genetic testing or anything for your eggs before you freeze them? Um, I think that 
there was a piece of paperwork that I did sign for that. Um, but I was really just signing them quickly. And I have to be honest, I did not read uh, 100% of all the things. Um, but like my personal plan for myself is that when I'm pregnant, I'm going to test it a lot. Like that's just my person because I'm so afraid, you know, um, of being older. Um, so I don't know as much about the testing, the genetic, genetic testing. But I think that's just something that I'm going to kind of address when I'm actually pregnant. Yeah, it sounds like you continue to have that option too, which is nice, yeah. like at any point. I was just going to ask, you alluded a little bit to this, but um, what has the feedback from your friends and people who follow you who you may not be as close um, with you, like sharing this? It sounds like you've gotten a lot of positive, like people saying, oh, should I do this? Uh, has that all been positive? And what's kind of been people's reaction? Yeah, you know, I... Um, my Instagram is kind of like, it's for colleagues, it's for students and residents, it's for patients. And, um, you know, I don't post about like when I go and eat something delicious, but I post about these things because I think it's part of being authentic in the intersectionality of what I am, which I've kind of orchestrated and architected it to kind of be I haven't really had time to slow down and think about it very much because I've just been trying to be a surgeon, you know, but I think along the way, centering it around diversity and being a woman and the female experience, it has uh, made me feel less alone in the sense that because I post about it, people contact me about it. And because people contact me about it, I feel like I'm helping, which as a, as a person and as a human being, as a physician always makes you feel better when there's something for you to do that helps somebody. The worst feeling is when you feel helpless, but you want to help somebody, you know? And so I think that's why I've continued to be open about it. Um, when I wrote that article in 2019 for the resident magazine, like I did get responses or like I was doing an elective somewhere and somebody was like, Oh, that was you. You wrote that article. I like forwarded it to like men were forwarding it to their friends or their partners and like women were reading it and like um, medical students and people were forwarding it to non-plastic surgeons to medical residents and like um, I mean I think I only get a fraction of the feedback um, I've had people ask me about their insurance and I'm like dude I have no idea about Aetna like I just I don't know I don't even know for my patients that I do hand surgery on like what what like I kind of know but like um, I don't know exactly what is or is not going to get approved and how much or, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's okay. So Brene Brown talks about like bravery and vulnerability and like, you cannot experience the spectrums of um, the most joy or the most this without also sometimes being doing some scary things. And I almost feel like the more I have been open, the less scary or the less um, uncomfortable it's become or it's just become who I am and the joy and um, feeling like I'm doing something that matters or I'm telling a story that people feel like they need to hear that really makes me happy because I think the more we talk about it the less alone everybody feels and the better it will be for all of us as any kind of physician and woman, and also for 
the other side to sort of understand like the men. Sometimes people think that having a family is a women's issue. And I really don't think that that's the case. Like you don't just have a, well, for the most part, you like don't just make a family all by yourself. Usually, um, traditionally uh, in our community, it's not that way. Um, although there are a lot more single mothers by choice who are surgeon women. Um, but like male residents also have to think about like starting a family or those things. and. This is all part of the same story, you know, like whether or not you get um, family leave uh, as the childbearing partner or the non-childbearing partner or um, to have an ecosystem and a community that is compassionate to young families. Because, you know, like every day when I have clinic and I'm seeing like dozens of people, of course, it's centered on them and their pain and their discomfort and their body and their surgery. And like, I can count on one hand the number of times somebody has said like, oh, doctor, like, did you eat lunch today? Or like, you look kind of tired or like, our world is not one where you take care of your own wellness. And that's not a strategy for long-term sustainability, especially with the epidemic of physician suicides these days. And so I think wellness and all these things that we're talking about is part of the same story because we get, we give up so much of ourselves each day and also in this peak part of your life. And that's not something that should be just swept under and overlooked and minimized because I'd like to have a long career and I'd like to be a happy person with a long career. And I'd like to be a person who's happy at work and like, you know, is part of creating a positive work environment. And I think that's all, all, all really important. I guess I have one final question to piggyback off of some of those things that you just mentioned that are really important. And I think, unfortunately, I'm only hearing about this now in my second year of residency um, when I've been fertile for the last 10 years. Um, I was wondering <laughs> what sort of uh, things we should do to try to raise awareness about this sort of thing at an age, like at a younger age, so people even know that this is an option um, or are aware that this is a potential possibility. Because even though it doesn't feel like it, um, we had more time in med school. I didn't think that I had time in med school, but we have exponentially more time the earlier we are in our careers. And now, you know, as you mentioned in your previous. Um, sort of comments, you have to like schedule on call schedules and, you know, uh, et cetera, taking care of patients because we have, you know, jobs now. <laughs> so what do you think we should be doing in terms of uh, raising awareness um, earlier and earlier in people's careers? So um, the AMWA has an infertility committee. Um, I am not 100% sure all the things and ins and outs that they're doing with that committee. Um, like the students, there are students involved with this. Um, when I was a resident, I would always go to like the plastic surgery, like interest group or like women surgeons, whatever group. And I would talk about this um, because you're right. Like a lot of people, they're like, they're not thinking about that when they're like 25, you know? Um, but that you're right. It is a peak time because you can like miss one lecture about, you know, I don't know, the kidney. <laughs> you can make it up um, on your own time. But um, so I think that's also why I do what I do on Instagram um, because I don't know who's seeing it, who maybe really needs to see it um, or maybe needs to read whatever I'm reading or like see that it, you know, 
or will contact me and like podcasts like this. I think every we just need to talk about it. just talk about talk, talk talk about it. Just like awareness. It's just like awareness, you know. That's the it's the a- action item or the activism of awareness. And I think this is all part of that. And it's like slapping paint on the wall. And you just gotta keep doing it, keep talking about it, and you never know who you're gonna who's gonna pick it up and really talk about it. Or sometimes the moment just has to be right, you know. Um, like with a lot of the things that have been going on with women and minorities in the last five, 10 years, like suddenly coming much more to a head in the last two, three, four years. Sometimes I don't know if it's just like the right moments, but I think that there's, um, from a board standpoint, the leave policies are changing also. And so that JAM article, maybe because of that, like it gets more publicity and, and more people start talking about it. I know that some of my articles have been talked about at journal clubs, which I never would have thought, I never, I never ever in a million years would have thought that that was an article that would get talked about at journal club. Um, but, you know, maybe that's who's curating the journal clubs and it is important, you know, because it doesn't get easier when you're an attending, then you have even less uh, ability to necessarily say like, I'm, you know, taking three months off or, um, especially if you're in private practice, you know, how's that going to work? So it doesn't really get easier when you're in attending. Um, it only is easier the earlier, earlier, earlier on you are in the process, I think. Yeah. I also more. think that the best um, thing that you have given, you know, in talking to us today, and then as someone who's like followed you on Instagram is authentic story, like you alluded to, right? Like, it's not like this sugar-coated Instagram perfect view on wellness, which we often see, you know, everything is like perfect. And, you know, being a physician is always awesome. Being a doctor is the greatest, right? Like taking down the veil of, you know, sometimes is really hard. And sometimes, like you said, this takes a lot out of us um, at a time where we don't um, always, you know, we are limited in what we can give in terms of our fertility, especially. Um, And so I think at times, even when this came up in med school, it was scary, you know, like, oh, suddenly they're coming in and they're, t- they're giving us the fertility talk. Like we all have to freeze our eggs. Cause we're never going to get ma- Like, we're never going to be able to have time for this. Um, versus like having an authentic conversation with someone who's like very much in the position where we are going through residency about to become an attending. I mean, I'm not there yet, but <laughs> hopefully one, you know, through this and telling us, this is what it's actually like, you know, it's not actually that scary. It's very doable for some resident or fellow call schedule um so I guess what I'm really trying to say is I really appreciate you talking to us and being so open and being so authentic with you know everything that you've gone through and try to emulate for everybody else yeah I really appreciate it because uh when the when the reserves get a little low sometimes it it really helps pull it back up to like just keep on keep on going keep on going keep on going with this stuff you know yeah this is I think this is gonna impact a lot of people, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. Um, and you know, one day we'll be leading those journal clubs. And so we can start having those conversations too. So that's, that's the really cool part. I think about being able to share. And again, like Tori said, just like, it's been so refreshing to hear it and to see that it's possible and to see that, you know, like normal people can, can do this. And it's like a really great idea. Um, so for anybody listening, um, Go follow Dr. Chen uh, at Chendi. <laughs> at Dr. Chendi. At, at D R C H E N D Y. 
Yes. And uh, <laughs> we'll show the link to the gym article we were talking about too. It's really interesting. Um, we really, really appreciate you talking with us. Yeah, it's been super duper my pleasure. I'm so happy to do this. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.